Anyway, whenever I ride with people, they think that I'm pedaling so hard on the descent. They're like, why are you going so hard on the descent? I'm like, I'm literally going the same power that we were just going on the climb when you dropped me. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Matchbox Podcast, powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and today we're talking hotel life training, base season group rides, how often you should go to the well while training, and whether you should include anaerobic maintenance early in the season. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. All of us on the Matchbox use Flow on the daily to get us through training rides and cross finish lines, and we highly recommend you check it out, too. They've got a full suite of endurance sports-specific nutrition products, including high-carb drink mixes, electrolyte replacements, recovery formulas, and more. So head over to floorformulas.com today and use the discount code Ignition Podcast for 10% off your next order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, send those to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title The Matchbox Podcast, or head over to Instagram and send us a DM. All right, let's get into it. All right, what's up, guys? Got Drew and Dylan in the same spot today. All right. Did you guys stay up all night studying? Yep, that's definitely what we did. And watching Bill and Ted. That's Dylan's favorite movie. Yeah, we Dude. were watching we were actually watching some South Co- or, uh, Korean Korean show uh about I don't know. Like, it's called Physical 100. So when I saw it I was like, "Oh, this is perfect. Like me and Dylan are we'll like totally get into a a, a you know, a cool series called The Physical 100 where they take 100 physically strong people and they put them up against each other to see who's the best. And like, as soon as it starts, the concept was really cool, but it's all Korean. And so it's all voiceovers. So it's so cheesy because the voiceovers are like the worst voiceovers ever. It's like a guy walks in, he's like, Hi, you guys, I'm strong. That's the voiceover. (laughs) And you're like, you're like, there's no way he actually said that. Like, it's hilarious. So, so they had all these top athletes from Korea, and they didn't have. I don't think they had any cyclists. They had one cyclist. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They. I think he was a uh, track. He was a track. He was a track well, it didn't say, but he looked like he a track definitely. Cyclist. He definitely didn't look like he a looked cyclist. Yeah, hmm. but they had like this guy who was about to. He was like one step away from breaking the uh, bench press world record. And so this dude's arms, he's, he's got the Korean world record or Korean record. And he said that he's like on par to, to break the world record like this. What is the, what is the world record? No idea. But when they showed a picture of this guy's bench press, it was like bars all or 45s all the way to the end of the, where that you could like, you could almost not put any more plates on. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was nuts. They have all these like army military guys. They had two Olympic athletes one of them was a gold medal gymnast and he's in this comp, like goofy tv reality competition thing so how many these, episodes like, did you guys watch he only watched half episode me and oh. cj stayed up and watched two full episodes wow committed yeah. yeah it was cool you guys are like the skit from jimmy fallon with him and justin timberlake sleep up, <laughs> staying up at summer camp <laughs> have you seen that yeah i have so funny <laughs> all right should we should we jump into some questions here yeah Let's this is it. not this is we got some topics to cover today okay so this first one totally <clears throat> related i am the one who brought it up <laughs> um okay so this first question is sort of something we've touched on before so i was gonna 
uh, reach back out to Benny who submitted this question and let him know if he wants a more in-depth answer. We we've sort of covered this topic, but um, <clears throat> it's pretty specific to a couple events that he has coming up. So I wanted to cover it here. So this one comes from Benny. He's talking about Finland gravel and steamboat training. Um, he says it in, he's training for Finland gravel in June, followed by steamboat in August. He just moved positions at work, which means he'll be traveling for work more than half the weeks between now and the first race in June without access to his bike. Uh, He says some of the hotels will have a pool, but all of them will at least have some sort of gym. He's scared of doing too much running for risk of injury, uh, and he's thinking in order his priority should be indoor bike, rowing machine, swimming, running, then weightlifting. And he's asking for any advice on how to order those uh, different modalities. Oh, yeah, we did this one. I think. What? Uh, what? Yeah, so we, we we covered this a little bit previously, but um, our our previous question was more inclined. Our previous listener uh, was more inclined to do more running. So um, I think the 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 like distinction here is that Benny is trying to avoid running too much for risk of injury. Um, which tells me that he probably doesn't have as extensive as a background of running as our previous listener. Sure. Uh, what, how long is he going to not be able to ride his bike? Um, so it sounds like he'll be traveling for like a week at a time and half the weeks between now and June will be traveling. So he'll be home for a week and then maybe on the road for a week and, and, and so on. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could, he, he could do something, like really experimental where he, I don't know how much work he has to do in the weeks that he's home. Like, I don't know if it's a full work schedule or he has the week completely off or, mm. you know what I mean? Cause I think that makes a difference to the answer that I'm about to give. But what I was going to say is he could try to do, I don't want to say one week on one week off. Um, like he could still do a fair, fair bit on the weeks that he's traveling, but the weeks that he's not traveling, like really build the, you know, those weeks up to be weeks that are more, quite a bit more challenging and quite a bit more training load than he would normally have. He just could train anytime that he wanted. So it's kind of like you're constantly loading, deloading, loading, deloading. Like it's, it's a weird, it's a weird periodization cycle, but it's, and, and I don't know, I also don't know his schedule. I don't know if it's like one week on, one week off, one week on, one week off. It might be like, two weeks off to, you know, one week, I don't know. I don't know the exact schedule, but basically try to load every week that you're not traveling and every week that you are traveling isn't necessarily a recovery week, but it's a, it's, it's sort of a deload week. Sure. Yeah. And you're doing active recovery there. If you have access to like a rowing machine and then you do your strength days there as well. I like that. Yeah. And if he goes to a gym, more than likely there's a stationary bike. So, mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing that came to my head was like, why doesn't he want to run? Like, is it, is, I know he says injury, but, um, I don't know. The coach in me wants to like push back a little bit and say, could you get better at running? Or is there a way that you could start to improve your running or something? He says that that he's, he's had a previous running injury. I think I forgot to say that earlier. I mean, there are people that when, you know, I, for whatever reason, when they ramp up their running volume over a certain amount, it's just bad things start happening. Yeah, yeah, I agree. With yeah, that. so I, <clears throat> I'm kind of in line with with both Drew. I mean, Dylan and Caitlin here. I, I said Drew because you guys are on the same screen. And it says Drew. <laughs> um, so 
I I I kind of like the idea of of having like your weeks at home uh, scaled up a bit, and I would emphasize more like volume during those weeks because I do think that you can get quality intensity in on the road if you have access to a, a stationary bike, um, especially if it's a spin bike. But even if it's like any kind of bike, um, or even maybe a rowing machine if you were proficient enough at rowing, but like you could you could get interval workouts in in it's just going to be hard to get the volume in on a stationary bike. You know, you're probably not going to spend two, three, four hours riding a stationary bike while you're on your work trip. Um, and I definitely wouldn't try and add volume by swimming. I don't, I don't know that that's going to be very productive unless it's just like active recovery, but I think you could get quality intensity in. So like some interval workouts on the stationary bike and then also like your weightlifting on the road. And then when you're at home, just trying to get as much volume as you can. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a very, you know, not typical, unusual schedule, but it kind of is what it is. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to say swimming Mm -hmm. is swimming is definitely better than doing nothing at all. But in studies where they have compared there, there've been a lot of studies where they compare running, swimming and cycling because of triathlon. And then they have studies where they compare other stuff too. It seems like swimming has the least amount of crossover with cycling, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and unless your swimming technique is proficient, um, it just can be it can be really hard to dial in the intensity and the, the duration that you need to, you know, like if you're, if you're only able to, you know, swim one or two laps without stopping, then you're not, you're not getting very quality, like aerobic adaptations there. If you're stopping every minute or two. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, well, Finland gravel sounds awesome. So that'll be cool. Um, yeah. Say hi to yeah. Valtteri for me. <laughs> Fangirl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cool. So, okay, so the next one, this one comes from Thomas, and he's talking about base season group rides. Uh, so, again, it's kind of something similar we've touched on before, um, but a little bit different and more more details here. So, hey, Ignition Coaches, I've been enjoying the show and wanted to hear your thoughts on incorporating group rides into base training phase in a way that would not be too detrimental to the quality of my other workouts. I'm currently using Dylan's training with base training with lifting plan at 10 hours a week for 12 weeks. Uh, for reference, these group rides are typically mountain biking or gravel with many short punchy climbs, approximately 10 to 12% or steeper, um, two to 15 minute in duration at VO2 max effort. Uh, let's see, you said, which is needed to make it up these climbs in a two hour ride. There could be 10 climbs. These are typically no drop social rides with beer and food afterwards. Your thoughts, Thomas. Mm. Um, waterfall. What? On this waterfall, the climbs, buddy. Start at well, the, it's mountain biking, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're talking about sag, sag climbing? Also, also yeah. so w- when Drew says waterfall, he's talking about you start at the front of, front of the group, and then by the top of the climb, you're at the back of the group, so you didn't have to ride as hard as everyone else. Um, strategy. It's awesome. No, I mean, love that strategy. That's that's a decent strategy when you're road racing, but he's saying he <laughs> needs to ride at VO2 max just to make it up these. Right. Climbs. So maybe he could only ride threshold. No, but he's saying in order to get up the climbs. Oh, so it doesn't matter. I don't know if that means he doesn't have enough gearing to be able to spin it, you know, his cadence a little higher at, and keep the effort down. But um, here's, here's what I'll say. So, I mean, this. This question obviously is has some specific components, but it's a question. This general question is a question that I get a lot, which is how do I, you know, I've got a specific training plan and I've got to stick to these zones and whatever. 
And then if I do a group ride, which I like to do because I like to be social when I ride, it's just like the whole plan goes out the window. Like I can't do endurance and I can't do intervals. It's just some nebulous thing in between and we're hitting all the zones and it's just chaos. Um, what I usually, what I usually tell people is that, you know, the vast majority of the time you do a group ride, it's not going to be an endurance ride unless the people that you're riding with know how to do an endurance ride, which is not very many people, to be honest with you. (laughs) I'm just going to, I'm just going to be honest. Like the, the people that I ride with most of the time they get it. And I'm like, Hey, I'm just riding endurance. And if they go harder, I just let them drop me. And you know, over time they learn like that's the pace that Dylan's going to ride at. Right. I've ridden with people who have ridden with Dylan and they're like, yeah, it's so annoying. We'll just be like talking. (laughs) We'll just be talking, going like endurance pace on a climb. But Dylan is like, so like, I'm not going to go over this intensity Mm -hmm. that he'll be like, yeah, he'll just like let them roll off. And they're like, what happened to Dylan? And they're like, we aren't even going hard. We're, how did well, we drop Dylan? Well, it's not that they dropped him. It's just that you're so like, mm, yeah, like, I'm not going to go hard. Here's the thing. Unless we're talking about Scott, those people aren't stronger than me. So clearly they are going too hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. No, um, I've done that to you on rides. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why we're like going up a climb and I'm like not going hard. And yes, it's a little harder than what we were going on the flat, but it's still endurance. I look around what the heck, but then you'll drop me on the cl- on the descents because then I go a little easier on the descents. Right. See, uh, you're I, just see so motor in the descents. <laughs> most most people like they go up a climb and they're doing 500 watts, and then they go on the downhill and they're doing zero watts, and then they go on the flat and they're doing 100 watts. Right. It's not what I do. I, if if it's an endurance ride, it's like. 220. 220 all day doesn't matter if it's uphill downhill flat whatever so my endurance ride is like 190 to 260 <laughs> which is still endurance 190 to 260 i might go 260 on the climbs and 190 on the descents but dylan's 220 all so day. so anyway whenever i ride with people they think that i'm pedaling so hard on the descent they're like why are you going so hard on the descent i'm like i'm literally going the same power that we were just going on the climb when you dropped me <laughs> <laughs> anyway that was that was quite a tangent what were we talking about <laughs> all right dylan come on we so were dylan's talking about thomas enjoying really, huh? dylan is a robot that's it dylan's <laughs> a robot yeah be like dylan except don't be like dylan <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good um so, so yeah so going back to, it. to so thomas, with you thomas wants his group rides to not be detrimental to his other training which he's following one of your training plans so you should Did know lose adam no, I'm here. Right when he was explaining things. Well, Adam, we lost you. Oh, he's back. Can, can you hear me? Yep. Now, yeah. Okay. I don't know what happened. I, I could hear you guys the whole time. Okay. <clears throat> so, so Thomas wants to incorporate group rides, but not be detrimental to his other training, which he's following your training plan. So, so you should, you should know what he's got going on. I'm sorry for taking us on that rant slash tangent there. I apologize. All right. <laughs> you could do, you could probably do two things in regard to this group ride. You can somehow try to minimize the intensity and like turn it into an endurance day, or you can consider that ride one of your intensity days and up the intensity. Um, that's what I would, that I would go one of those two routes, either figure out a way to drop the pace on the climbs where it stays pretty within endurance the whole time. If that means like getting dropped and then I don't know, people waiting for you. I don't know. That's one option. The other one would be to turn it into an, a hard day where that actually counts as one of your interval days. 
Um, and so then you'd have one hard ride from the group ride. And then ideally you'd have another very structured workout throughout the week. Um, that's how I kind of try to compromise with athletes who really want to do the group ride. I'll say, okay, go do the group ride and have fun and go hard, make that one of your hard days. But on Tuesday, you're going to give me a really structured focused workout, not with the group where we do some very specific things. Yeah. I I wish I knew what day, uh, this is his group ride is falling on. Is it falling on an endurance day that's in your plan or is it falling on one of the intensity days? Um, so the, the the other the only thing that I'll add to what Drew was saying is that you know if it's going to be an intensity day, uh, hopefully hopefully the and and a lot of times group rides are like this where it's just like you know you guys are constantly attacking each other and it's it's just a you know a brawl the whole ride it's basically trying to you know outride each other the whole time which is great I mean that is like an intensity day. But if it's kind of if it's kind of this middling pace where it's like we're sort of going hard, but we're not really going hard. I, I hate to say it, but that kind of ride is is probably the worst thing you can do because it's not in it. It's not an endurance ride and it's not an intensity day. It's it's that's like the kind of ride that goes into, you know, the junk miles column. Yeah. And especially he's talking about the the, the climbs range from two to 15 minutes. So you're mm-hmm. talking like the, you know, very high end of your VO2 max power um, all the way down to like threshold. So, or, or even tempo if you're not going all out for 15 minutes. Um, and I think that's one thing to be cautious of, especially in the base season when you don't really have a broad depth of fitness to work with, um, is just like you're hitting all the energy systems. You know, you've got like, you're probably recovering then you're doing some endurance then you're doing some tempo then you're doing some threshold vo2 max anaerobic i mean like you're just doing way too much and your body's your body doesn't know what to do with that um so like if if you were going to take drew's approach what you try to do is like pick an energy system like whatever you're kind of working in and like whether it's the two minute climb or the 15 minute climb like you hit tempo or you hit threshold or like you hit VO2 max, like you're probably not, not going to do VO2 max for 15 minutes. Maybe you do like a couple intervals going up that 15 minute climb. Um, but try and hit like that hit within like that specific energy system for all those climbs. Um, but it also sounds like it's, it says it's a no drop social ride with beer and food at the end. So like, I also just don't see why you couldn't just go real slow and just keep it an endurance ride. Like there's got to be someone who you can just hang with at the, at the back. Yeah. I mean, if it's a, if it's a mountain bike ride, a lot of times too, it's like, there's people there that aren't very fast. You can, I mean, it may, it may bruise your ego a little bit, but you can just hang with them and they'll probably be happy that yeah. they have somebody back there to talk to, you know? Yeah. And, and I also wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to having them ride their mountain bike on the gravel ride. If that gives you more gearing to appropriately ride the uphills at a pace that's comfortable. Yeah, the thing the thing about having to ride at VO2 max to make it up a climb, I would if that was a question in itself, I would say take a hard look at the gearing that you have on your bike because it's probably mm-hmm. not appropriate for the terrain that you're riding. Mm-hmm. Kate, anything else to add? No, I mean, well, everything in me, the way that I coach, just like he's asking this question because it's obviously important to him, and it's mm-hmm. base season. You know, make it work. Um, I think he can take it either direction go easier make it an endurance ride or go harder and make it one of his intensity days but keep it in there and it is 
just base season. I mean, base season is a huge part of preparing for your training and racing later in the year, but it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think he should keep it in there. I don't think he should take yeah. it out. He likes riding with his friends for sure. All right, cool. Uh, okay, this next one comes from Brian, and he's talking about high-intensity interval training. Uh, he says, hi, guys. I wanted to ask if every interval workout should end with an interval that goes to failure or RPE of 10. I know in weightlifting, it is best to only take a set to failure every once in a while for best results, but I wasn't sure how that translated to cycling. Increasing the interval intensity should induce a greater training stress, but can leaving a little in the tank in terms of intensity, not just volume, uh, provide better results by reducing fatigue more than the reduction in training stress. Thanks, Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like this, this question. I, th- I think this is a good one. This is this is a good question, um, and it's it's partially a good question because it there's a lot of room for debate here, and there's not necessarily a right answer. Uh, and it well, there could be a right answer, but we don't have the right answer right now. Like, not enough research has been done on this particular question. What I will say is that my opinion about what the right answer to this question is has changed over time. I used to be in the camp of if you have an intensity day, you know, you should it should be RPE 10 by, you know, by the end of the by the end of the intervals, um, by the end of the workout, you should be toasted. Uh, I talked to Steven Seiler about this and I uh, this is on my YouTube channel, but he he doesn't think that you should go to RPE 10 very often. Uh, RPE 10 meaning like you you couldn't go any harder that was as hard as you could possibly go it's basically like a race effort right because in a race you go theoretically as hard as you could go um and and he doesn't think that you should go to RPE 10 very often um and I think I'm starting to agree with him and I I I think that the difference the difference between RPE let's say 8 8 or 9 and 10 physiologically might not be that great, but the difference in the time that it's going to take you to recover could be quite a bit longer, if that makes sense. So if you are constantly going as as hard as you could possibly go every interval session, you may not be able to do as many intensity sessions and therefore it'll hurt your fitness down the line. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, and and I I would say I'm kind of in a similar camp. Like I I I used to like yeah every interval session like if it was four by four VO two max like I would push that limit all four efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say now what I what I've tried to do is <clears throat> kind of more broadly hit the the energy system. So like I'll kind of start conservative. Like if it's four minutes between 360 and 420, like maybe I'll start at 360 and then that feels good. Then I'll bump up to 375. That feels good. Then I'll bump up to 390 and like kind of save that full gas till like, if I have something in the tank at the end for that fourth interval, like maybe I'll push it a little bit. But if I don't, like if I, if I'm just not on one of those days where like I have everything there available, then like I, I just try and hit that energy system. And I think that's what the theory is trending towards right now is like just spending time in the energy system is what's important, not so much pushing the envelope of where that energy system like transitions. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I, I and, and I also think there's something to like the mental aspect, like 
it's good to every once in a while, like train your ability to push your limits. Like that's, that's how you like reach new peaks, but you should also try and conserve those days for racing when possible. Um, and I think a lot of people flip flop this, like they push themselves harder in training than they're willing to push themselves in races because they're afraid of like blowing up in races and, and going too hard. But like, that is why you train. And that is like, that is your time to, um, to like, push yourself is, is in the races that you've been preparing for. So I, I do think there's something to like holding that like special moment of like pushing that RPE of 10, uh, for like when it really matters in a race. Yeah. I, I would say that probably how many times in a year you should push yourself to RPE 10 in a workout will probably depend on how many races you do. For example, if you're just training for one event, like you're a one event person, um, you probably want to go to RPE 10 before that event just to know what that feels like. But if you're racing every other weekend, your races are when you're going to RPE 10. You don't need to do that in training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. When I think about my own training and like going to failure, I like the concept of going to failure seems like pretty exciting. Like, Oh yeah, I want to do that. Uh, so I could definitely see how it's catchy like doing workouts to failure. But when I think about it practically, I'm like, I don't ever, I don't think I ever give myself a workout where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go till I can't go anymore. But I do have workouts where I get to the end of the workout and I do exactly what I said I was going to do. And I get to the end thinking, I don't think I could have done another one. Um, so I don't know if that's exactly the same thing or not, but a lot of times like what you were saying, Adam, when I do a VO two workout, I'll give myself, maybe I'll put on there eight but I'm, I'm okay if I only do six or seven, if I get, if I reach that RP 10, because I literally like couldn't do eight, but if I'm having a really good day and I do all eight, then, you know, I don't know, I think more power to you. But a lot of times those workouts come in the third week of a block, like the very end. Like if you're, if you're your, the first week into your VO2 training and you're hitting RPE 10 the first week, I think you're doing it wrong. If you were going to do if you're going to schedule out the days that you should really push to that RP 10, I'd say it should be at the end of a training block and everything before that should be kind of building up to that. You know, so for me, if we're talking VO2, it'd be my first interval is only a five by four, but by the end of the three week block, I'm trying to hit eight by four. And if I don't even hit eight by four, I'm going to do as many as I can on that, like one, maybe two workouts. Um, but in that block, I'm going to end up doing six or seven VO two workouts total, but only pushing the upper limit of that, like once or twice, if that kind of like, I don't know, makes sense or helps. Yeah. I think it's fair. Basically you can't, you can't, yeah, you can't do like push to failure every, every week. Uh, yeah. I think physically, mentally, you can only, you can only do that, you know, a few times a month, maybe. Yeah, I agree. Piggybacking off of what you're saying with that. There's this thing that I share with a lot of my athletes. It's called the rule of thirds, where in pursuit of a goal in your training, it should feel it should feel really good a third of the time. Meh, okay, a third of the time. And honestly, pretty crappy a third of the time. But if at any point that ratio is off, if it feels really good all the time, then maybe we have to say, hey, you're sandbagging some workouts here and we need to ramp it up. But if it feels really bad, aka you're going to failure every time, then your workouts are probably too hard for you and we need to scale it back. 
because I don't think you shouldn't be able to finish every one of your workouts. I think there's a time and a place where your coach is testing you to see what you really can do. And failing a workout is perfectly fine. We found your limit then and that's okay. But every single workout, no, probably not. Yeah. And and I think it's important to be brutally honest with like with your RPE scale. Like mm-hmm. an RPE of 10 is is actually pretty hard to achieve. Um, like I can honestly say like in the last probably four years, <clears throat> assuming I'm not sick or something else is underlying, but like assuming I'm fully healthy, there's probably only like two or three workouts where I actually hit an RPE of 10 and couldn't actually execute the workout. Like it doesn't, and, it happens so rarely. Um, and when that, that happened, you were probably like, what's wrong? What did I do? Like, oh, did I not get enough I, I sleep that it, night? I remember yeah. it like, like it's pretty rare that I get like pissed off or like upset at myself, but like those workouts, I get mad. Cause I'm like, I know that I should be able to do this right now. And I'm not. Mm-hmm. And, and there probably is, like you said, something else underlying that's, that's going on that, that isn't allowing me to like hit those numbers or whatever, but it happens so rarely that, that like, if I'm being honest, like even though a workout might feel like a 10, it's probably a nine because if I'm able to execute it and like could have squeezed out another 10 or 15 Watts, well then it wasn't a 10, like a 10 is like, you're literally going to failure and like maybe not even going to complete the workout because of it. So I do think it's important to kind of be, be realistic. Like your, your VO two max efforts should be an eight and a half or nine. Like they, they should be really hard, but a 10 where like, like Kate saying, where like, you're actually not able to finish or complete the workout. Like that's, that's another level. And and that's what we're trying to talk about here is like limiting those. Yeah. The only, the only caveat that I'll give there is cause I think that you guys are kind of starting to talk about having bad days and good days, which is a mm-hmm. good, good conversation to have. Like, what should you do on days that you feel good? What should you do on days that you feel bad? Like if you, if you are, if you're pretty fatigued or you didn't get a good night's sleep or you're maybe you're fighting a cold or something and you get out and your legs don't feel great, um, that's different than when you are warming up, your legs feel amazing and you could still, when I, when I think of going to an RP 10, I, I don't know exactly what the guy asking this question meant when he said that, but when I think of going to RP 10 on a workout, I think your legs feel amazing. You're ready to go. You're highly motivated and you do so much work at whatever given intensity in that workout that you go from feeling amazing to, I can't do one more second at this intensity by the end of the workout. Yeah. That's what I was going to say too. It's like, when I think of an RP 10 workout, I think of like the day that I felt amazing, but exactly at his point, I get to that, I get to that last interval and I'm like, (sighs) utterly cracked i'm like right but that also i will say feels amazing in that you're like dang i just did that like all right <laughs> i swear like it's so good like yeah, yeah. i yeah. always i love that feeling yeah and life. that's what i mean when i say it's it's <clears throat> it's pretty rare um because most of the time like if you're if you're feeling like you can't do anymore and you're not executing a workout it's because there's something else going on and i and i and i think that's kind of what we're all coming to the consensus yeah. here is like that's different than having that good day where you're pushing yourself so much to that limit that like you start to break down. Um, like that's, that's an RP of 10 and like those days are brutal and they're hard to recover from. 
And if it possible, like those should be, you know, very rarely included in, in like your training schedule um, and yeah. hopefully saved for race day. Yeah. A lot of times, like I won't give a, when I'm coaching somebody else, I, uh, I try to not put that many workouts in there that like would, would push them to failure or like is questionable if they're going to complete them. Almost every workout I give an athlete, I, I feel very confident they can complete that workout. The one time that I will put workouts in there where I'm like, all right, like we're going to see if he can do this, um, is one, like, I'm not going to do that at all if I can tell they're already kind of cracked, but if they're feeling good and the training's going good and all that, that will be the last workout in a block. Like I said, mm-hmm. that'll be the one workout where I'm like, let's see if he can do. It. Um, and I only do that with, I don't do that with even every athlete I coach. The ones that I kind of feel are able to endure that kind of a workout. I'll give those to them. And then that gives me some insight into like future training too. And if they don't complete it or if they do complete it and the TSS is big, the best thing about that is that the next week is a rest week. So even if they do kind of like what he's talking about, like you, you get that extra training stress, but the fatigue is also super high. That's the perfect time to do it because then you have five, six, seven days to recover from it. So even if you do go crack yourself or whatever from that workout, you'll recover. Yep. Yeah, I agree. All right. You guys want to do one more? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this one's talking about anaerobic maintenance during the base season. This one comes from Ken. Mm. Just go watch uh, the video. You want, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I figured Dylan would probably knock this one out pretty quick. Um, Kenny Pike, this guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kenny Pike. So I He's have a question regular. for you guys to address on the show. Uh, so, you know, I'm a diesel engine and anaerobic stuff makes me want to die. How much should someone do anaerobic work in the base season, if at all, to maintain anaerobic fitness? Does working on anaerobic fitness hinder your aerobic gains in any way? Mm, That last part is actually good. That's like another way of asking the question, but more specific. I like like the way he says that. Yeah, so I do have a video about, I I think it's called intensity in the base season question mark or something like that. I made it around this time last year and it, it, the reason I made that video is I came across a pretty interesting study about where they compared basically riders that did no intensity through their off season and base season versus riders that did intensity. I don't know, every, every, I think it was every two weeks or every three weeks or something. So not that frequent, right? Like that's not, they're not even doing it every week. Um, and the riders that did this maintenance intensity did perform better at the end of the base season, which is probably not, you you know, you probably could have guessed that, but what the interesting part was they found that the riders that didn't do any intensity, they didn't catch up, uh, by the end of the study period, which, you know, the study period didn't go through the entire race season, but it went a little bit into the race season from what I can remember of it. So, you know, we're talking about maybe a couple months into the base season, you would probably still be better off having done a little bit of maintenance intensity. Now, maybe by the end of the, you know, maybe by the middle of the race season or the end of the race season, you would have fully caught up at that point. Um, And it doesn't really matter. But uh, that I don't know if that particular study has been done where it's gone that long out. In fact, I can almost guarantee that it hasn't or I probably would have seen it. Um, but all of that is to say that, yeah, you should do some maintenance intensity in the base season. And if we're talking about, you know, anaerobic work, um, I'd probably throw that in. Honestly, where I would throw it in is probably, you know, maybe at the end of your 
recovery weeks when your legs are feeling pretty good. Um, if you're not doing, if you're, if you're not doing FTP tests, maybe you do FTP tests and that's your intensity for your recovery week. Um, in which case I, you know, I would probably do it like maybe once a month or once every two to three weeks. Uh, Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be very frequent at all. And also going back to the question we had about, you know, should you go to RP 10 on workouts? This is just, you got to keep in mind that this is just a maintenance workout. This is not an RP 10 workout by any means. It's not even necessarily an RP eight or nine workout. Like you should really like, for example, if you were to do normally do, I don't know, six VO two max intervals in a particular VO two max session, like that's pretty typical during race season, maybe you only do three or four. Like you're, you're not taking yourself very close to failure at all. Um, it's just really for maintenance. Uh, and I think that can have a big impact. And then the second part of the question, you want to read that again, Adam? Cause that was, yeah. So do, does working on anaerobic fitness hinder aerobic gains? So I would say you could, people could, <laughs> You could come at this from different directions, and uh, I, I could see people arguing that it could and couldn't using. Let, let me just give you an example. So, so um, the company Inside, which does, uh, you know, they they test your theoretical VLA max. You could, if you're doing, for example, a lot of anaerobic intervals you would theoretically raise your vla max and your if you raise your vla max then you know your what does he say here aerobic uh aerobic gains quote would would decrease so you know you could you would maybe improve your sprint for example but your ftp would go down um i think i think that what that ignores though is that when you when you do these intervals for most people, if they're not already at the peak of their fitness level, these intervals just in general are increasing their overall fitness. And when it increases mm-hmm. their overall fitness, their everything goes up, including their sprint, including their FTP, including their power at zone two. Um, so all of that is to say that I think in unless you're unless you're at your peak and you're trying to decide whether or not to say increase or decrease your VLA max for a specific race, like for unbound, you'd want a low VLA max for crits. You'd want a higher one. Um, I don't think that question comes into play until we get to that point in the season. And, and I think that doing, doing anaerobic intervals as maintenance will probably only improve your aerobic gains because it's it's improving your fitness overall one uh one interesting thing to think about with this i heard somebody talking about this a couple weeks ago another cycling coach uh and i had never thought about this before but he had said in regard to like a workout like this where you're going to do maintenance anaerobic work uh he pointed out that you're you should do those intervals later in the ride because the more endurance you do before your intervals will actually be endurance but let's say you do the really hard intervals at the beginning of your workout, your body goes into like anaerobic mode. So it starts like wanting more carbs. And after you do the workout, those really hard anaerobic uh, intervals, your body is still kind of in that mode of, you know, high carb burning mode. Whereas 
if you did, so then after you do the intervals, your body is still kind of in that, like that mode of like hard workout. But if you do your aerobic ride before that, and it's like, you know, more fat burning and less carb focused, and it's like, you know, not totally dependent on fat. We've already talked about that. That's another topic, but it's more endurance focused. And then you do your intervals and then you finish your ride. That is a little bit more focused on the endurance part of it. Um, so I thought that kind of stood out to me. I had never heard that explained and I thought that was neat. Yeah. And I I think that's actually very relevant for these maintenance workouts in the base season, because you have to look at the broader picture. What, like, what is the purpose of the base season? It's to build this big aerobic foundation. So your priority, even if you're putting in those, you know, Mm. anaerobic maintenance type efforts, your priority for the ride should still be aerobic in nature. So, you want to put that at the beginning, but like later in the year when you're trying to capitalize on, uh, like reaching your, your peak, uh, you know, anaerobic power fitness or, you know, improving your power of view to max or whatever, like you should put those at the beginning when you're most fresh so that you can hit those appropriately. Um, and then, you know, whatever endurance maintenance comes at the end. So it, it kind of flip flops. Um, but yeah, in this base season, I think it's, it is important. And that's actually what I'll do is I'll, I'll have my, so my athletes like on a weekend ride, go do like two or three hours of endurance and then throw in like, you know, four or five, 20 to 30 second sprints at the end. Um, just to like touch on a little bit of anaerobic power. Um, but we're not really emphasizing it at all. Yeah. Also, I don't, I don't really, he doesn't really define what he means by anaerobic, but I, I think it's just important to point out that there's not a switch where you turn from aerobic to anaerobic. It's a slow gradient as the intensity increases the mm-hmm. percentage that is aerobic coming, uh, you know, the percentage of aerobic versus the percentage of anaerobic, uh, the percentage of aerobic is decreasing as the intensity increases. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And, and just knowing Ken here, and I, th- I think kind of what he's getting at is like basically anything over lactate threshold. Sure. Which is what, which is what most people mean when they, Mm -hmm. when they say that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. So I, I think that, I think that we pretty much covered that one. Kate, do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, no, I would just say yes, include maintenance intensity, uh, based on the two principles that, um, the energy systems support each other. So, I mean, if you're, doing these sprints, um, in the base season, like you're, you're getting your body ready and you're teaching your body how to buffer out that lactic acid, which is going to be beneficial later when you start those, um, intensity blocks. And then the other principle is just variability. So if you're in the base season and you're riding the trainer, you know, constantly cracking out mindless, just two hour endurance rides, it's just going to make you want to bang your head against the wall. So including in some intervals to spice it up is just going to make it more enjoyable. So yeah, yeah, I like it. Sweet. All right, cool. Forty-five minutes. Wrap it there. Sweet. Wow, that's so long. I thought this was a thirty-minute podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we right. talked about a Korean uh, fitness show for. True. <laughs> I mean, that was at least four minutes. See, if you if you guys don't know Drew, like I was just trying to bring up a quick anecdote, and then he just he just went down that rabbit hole. That's that's typical Drew. Oh, right. <laughs> rabbit holes are so good. You know, the rabbit hole. The term rabbit hole comes from Alice in Wonderland. That was a bit. Here he and goes. That was a big, in the podcast. That was the yeah. big rabbit hole. She <laughs> she spends a whole day in that rabbit hole. All right. All right. He's gonna all right. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys. See ya. 
All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., Developing coaches, connecting athletes.